Praise the Lord. Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. When I was growing up, I grew up in Alabama in the uh, northeast part of, uh, well, outside of Birmingham to the northeast. And it was a rural area, not farmland so much, but uh, uh, we were, well, I think the, the town that I lived in, it was called Centerpoint, Alabama. I think it was incorporated toward my latter part of my years in high school. And so it was, uh, everybody was pretty much just simple folks, simple life. And the subdivision that I lived in, as the story goes, was part of an old farm, Sweeney's Farm. And somewhere along the way, many years before I was born, the land was bought up by somebody else and then eventually it became developed. And there was probably, I don't know, 100, maybe 125 homes in the subdivision in which I lived. And, uh, and it was surrounded by woods. It's a great place to grow up. There was a, uh, a part of Sweeney's farm was a um, sawmill. So it had grown up and everything had built up around the, or, uh, the trees and such had grown up over the years. But there was a path that we could take up into the woods where you'd find the, uh, the ruins of this old wooden sawmill. They'd taken away the, uh, well, anything that could hurt you. You know, saws and blades and all that kind of stuff. But we kids would find sawdust mounds that were about 30 feet tall. Now, we didn't know anything about surfing, but if you get some of the wood left from the, the dilapidated structure, pull off that, you could surf down those sawmills or those sawdust hills. And so there was a lot of things, a lot of parts that were left of the old farm that was uh, fun for us to play with and play around. If you went down out of the subdivision in the other direction through the woods, you'd come to where the power company had an easement with these great big power structures, whatever they're called, that would hold the power lines for the subdivision. Well, it went up and over a hill, and when you came down the hill on the other side, it was Sweeney's Creek. And there was a, a road, a county-maintained road, just on the other side of it, but it was very rarely used. You saw a car come by on that road, it was a special thing, you know. And so as kids, we would go down up and over the hill to uh, Sweeney's Creek. And for some reason or another, I don't know what the reason was, but this creek was full of crawdads. You know what crawdads are? Well, it was full of crawdads. Now, we were, you know, four feet tall maybe. And the creek was probably four or five feet wide. And so... Your first time there, or your first venture into catching a crawdad, you might be able to catch something from the side without getting into the water. But crawdads, I don't know if you know this or not, crawdads have radar. And they communicate to their buddies that fishermen or, or trappers are out there. And so as soon as you stick your foot into the water or put your hand into the water to catch that first crawdad, everything goes to the middle. So then you have to take off your shoes and get out into the creek. Now, there's a reason for this story. Because once you get into the creek, it doesn't take long until you stir up all the sand on the bottom and you can't see the crawdads. And there's only one solution for that if you're going to catch anything. And that is you have to stand in this freezing cold water up to your 
well, it was probably usually maybe six inches of water, so it didn't come up much, more, much higher than your ankle. But you're standing out here in this freezing water, and you can't move a peg. You have to let the water settle. And you might feel the crawdads crawling across your foot, but you still can't move. You've got to wait long enough until the water gets clearer, clear enough for you to see. And the Lord reminded me of that because I think that's the way that it works sometimes with healing. What I mean by that is when you've been standing in faith for a period of time, then there's nothing in the world that the devil would rather do than to muddy up the water. And the way that that happens, typically, is that people forget the basics or get away from the basics, maybe not forget it, but get away from the basics for which they began their faith to start with. And they start examining their faith. They start examining whether or not they're making the right confessions often enough. They start examining whether or not they're walking in love enough. They start examining if they're doing the right things, enough of the right things, often enough, and so forth. Lester Summerall made a statement one time at Ramah when I was in school there that's always stuck with me. He said this. He said, if it seems that my faith is not working, he said, I don't examine my faith. I examine my relationship with God. That's some of the best advice I've ever heard, and I'll never let that go. So I've got a real simple, basic message for you tonight for the purpose of trying to clear the water. Did you find Acts 14? Let's start in verse 1. This is Paul on his first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews. And so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews, and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers, to use them, talking about Paul and Barnabas, to use them despitefully, and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled. Under Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and under the region that lies round about. And there they preached the gospel. Now, this is the region known as uh, Galatia, is a part of Galatia. And these were the people to whom the letter to the Galatians were written. Galatia was a region, not just a city. So there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra impotent at his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak, who, steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and he walked. Now let me ask you a question. What's changed? Was the word stronger then than it is today? Did God care more about the sick in those days than he does today? Did people believe easier than back then than they do today? What changed? 
Folks, nothing's changed. Not a thing in the world has changed. Notice the Bible says specifically that Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel. The result was the man had faith to be healed. Now Romans ten seventeen says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which tells us by definition that if the man, the crippled man in Acts chapter 14 at Lystra, had faith to be healed, and he got that faith from Paul's preaching that Paul, by definition, had to have preached healing. But notice it doesn't say that he preached healing. It says that he preached the gospel. What does that mean? Well, most of the modern-day church identifies the gospel as the, the good news that Jesus died for your sins and was raised again from the dead so that you could be forgiven of your sins. But if that's what Paul preached, it's impossible for this man at Lystra, crippled man at Lystra, to have received faith to be healed. We know, therefore, without a shadow of a doubt, that Paul's gospel was the message that summarized, perhaps, in Isaiah 53, 5. Speaking of Jesus, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace or prosperity was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. The message that Paul and Barnabas preached, the message that worked, was that Jesus paid the same price, the shedding of his blood for sins, as he did for sickness and prosperity, financial well-being. Same exact price. Same exact price. Now this man, first time Paul was in town, first message Paul preached, this man heard enough about Jesus paying the price for sickness and disease to have faith to be healed from a condition that he's had all of his life. It says he's never taken a step. Paul saw that he had faith to be healed. Must have been a light on the guy's face. There must have been something about him that caused Paul to recognize what was going on, his receptiveness to the teaching or the preaching of the word. So Paul simply says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man does. Folks, I want you to understand something. There's enough power in the preaching of the gospel that Jesus paid the price for your sickness to heal any and every person on the face of the earth. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. We don't want to build a doctrine on this. But right on the other hand, if we're going to see the truth of it, we should go to somebody that's got some experience in these things. So Paul, writing to the, Corinthian, or to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Well, that means the preaching of the same gospel that he preached in Lystra, doesn't it? The truth that Jesus paid the price for sin, sickness, and poverty. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentiles. Now I want to read to you from Schofield's translation, the notes on Romans chapter 1. Again, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Greek means Gentiles. Schofield was 
in the prior generation and generations before that. The leading Baptist scholar. He's the one that everybody, when I was growing up in the Baptist church, his was the Bible that everybody wanted to have because of the notes and the commentary and the explanation of scriptures that were contained in his, um, the reference Bible that, he, that bore his name. Now, I don't know what things are like in the Baptist church today. I, I haven't been around the Baptist in a long time. But I know for several generations, Schofield was the guy. He was the go-to guy in whatever Schofield said the Baptists believed. Problem is, they didn't always know what he said. That does not say everything he said or everything in his commentary is true. In my opinion, it's certainly not. And it contra- there's a lot of things that contradict the word. But he was a man that loved God, and he was honest. And so here's what he said of this word salvation. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now you would expect Baptists to talk about salvation only in one context, and that is forgiveness of sins. That's all they ever preached. But here's what he said. The Hebrew and Greek words for salvation imply the ideas of deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. Salvation is the great inclusive word of the gospel, gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes, such as justification, redemption, grace, propitiation, imputation, forgiveness, sanctification, and glorification. Now, Schofield was honest enough to recognize that the Bible says that Jesus has redeemed us, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was honest enough to look in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and identify that the curse of the law included 14 specific sicknesses or kinds of sickness that were mentioned. And then in verse 61 of Deuteronomy 28, it says also every sickness and every disease not mentioned in this book of the law is part of the curse too. So when salvation includes redemption, it has to include, and he was honest enough to admit it, it has to include everything that the Bible says we're redeemed from. Well, if sickness is a part of the curse of the law, and the Bible says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, then that by definition means he's redeemed us from sickness and disease. Now here's where things get messy. We have a tendency, and I may be the world's worst at this, We have a tendency to to separate things, to examine them, to dissect them. And oftentimes in our dissection, even though we may come up with truth, we lose sight of the bigger picture. Or we lose sight of the simplicity of the truth of the gospel. Folks, the gospel is very simply this. When it comes to healing, the gospel is very simply this. Jesus paid the price for your sickness and your disease. Furthermore, Jesus said, this is Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. We sometimes summarize that by saying Jesus said we can have what we say. Well, under one condition, he's right. That's exactly what it does say. That one condition is we can't speak anything to the contrary. That's what doubt in the heart means. Now, we know from experience that that doesn't mean instant results. The Bible tells us to be strong in faith and hold fast the confidence of our faith, hold fast our profession, and so forth. So we could 
also, for the sake of clarity, add to what Jesus said, that if you meet the condition of not speaking to the contrary, but say to the mountain and believe that the things you'll say will come to pass, eventually you'll have what you say. So for me, and this is something the Lord's really been dealing with me about here lately, just go back to the simplicity of things. Go back to the basics. For me, the basics are this. Very simply, as simple as I know how to make it, Jesus paid the price for my healing. And I can have what I say. And I say that I'm healed. Now, if that was all there was to it, or if that's what we accepted to be all there was to it, then what could ever stop that? And again, here's where the devil gets in, I believe. He tries to muddy the water and confuse us with the idea that you've got to say it enough. Are you speaking it enough? Are you walking in love? Are you meeting all the conditions? The only condition Jesus gave us was to not speak anything to the contrary. And then he talked about being a forgiving person. Yeah, but some would say, but Pastor Mike, my condition is getting worse. My symptoms are getting worse. Well, I want you to turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4. But while you're turning there, I want to ask a simple question. What difference does it make what the symptoms do? Does it change the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sickness and disease? That he accomplished that which was necessary to be healed? Yeah, but shouldn't my faith make my symptoms get better and better instead of worse and worse? Well, I don't see that in anything Jesus said. Jesus said, whosoever shall say and not doubt in his heart shall have what he says. Doesn't say his condition will get better. Doesn't say the symptoms won't get worse. He just simply said, you'll have what you say. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Paul is writing to the church and says this. For the word of God, that same word of God that is the power of God to rescue, deliver, make safe, make sound, and heal. For the word of God is quick and powerful. One translation says full of life and power. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder. Dividing between. Of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Sounds to me like the word of God is like a scalpel. Cutting and dividing between things that are otherwise indivisible. And let me ask you this. If the word of God is that sharp, if it's that much full of life and power, don't you think the word of God can divide between healthy cells and sick cells? Diseased cells? See, we get caught up into worrying about how God's going to do something. Who cares how he does something? The devil wants to get you distracted by how is God going to do this. Does it really matter? The Bible says he will. Yeah, but some would say, but the devil tells me I'm going to die. Well, the word of God says in Psalm 118 verse 17, I shall not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. Psalm 91 verse 16 says, with long life, he will satisfy you. 
and show him, show you his salvation. See, for me, I can't die until I'm ready to go. That's what the Bible says. I believe that should be the confession of anyone who's been diagnosed with a terminal condition. I shall live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. What works of the Lord do you think he's talking about? For me, it's healing works. See, that's why I'm not concerned about the symptoms. If the symptoms get worse, in my case, more visible than they were before, then they'll just add to the testimony when they're gone completely. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not after a testimony. Couldn't care less about a testimony. What I care about is what Jesus paid for. And I haven't allowed myself and never will allow myself to get in this situation where God's got to do something because of the testimony it'll bring. Who cares? There'll be a lot of people that after my healing is manifest won't believe that it was what it was diagnosed to be to begin with. You think I'm going to let that bother me? I'm not after what somebody thinks about something. I'm after what Jesus paid for. So the simple truth of the word is this. Jesus paid for your healing. He said you could have what you say. So what do you say? I say I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. I say my faith is working because the word of God is quick and powerful. Quick and powerful enough to divide between diseased cells and and healthy cells. How's it going to work? Don't know. Don't care. My job is simple. My job is one and only one thing. That is to not allow myself to say anything to the contrary concerning healing. Folks, it can't get any simpler than that. It just can't get any simpler than that. And I'm going to endeavor. My focus for this year is to keep it simple. When the devil comes and says, well, you're not doing this or you have done that. All I know is that Jesus paid the price for my healing. And Jesus said, I can have what I say. And I say I'm healed. Something about that just brings peace and joy to me. I can honestly say that for the first time in a long time, I don't care. I remember how I had to get that way concerning the finances and the financial attack the church was under. I got to the place where I don't care. Another lawsuit was filed against us this week. Don't care. I don't mean this week. I'm talking about in the past. Thank God those things are gone and done. One day I received three notices, three separate lawsuits filed in one day. I finally got to the place where I don't care. Let there be three every day. I don't care. What are you going to do about them? Trust God. What else is there to do except trust God? The Bible says God meets all of our needs. And he met every one of them. Every one of them. I was reminded here lately that I asked the Lord one time during the middle of that trouble. And that went for five years. I don't know why I can't get short-term stuff. 
It was five years for the financial trouble, and it's been six years for this. I'm ready for short-term stuff. But I was reminded at the, toward the tail end of this thing with the finances, the church finances and the attack that the church was under. I asked the Lord, and I said, Lord, what is this about? What is this for? He answered me with one simple word, preparation. Preparation. I've gone back and drawn from some of those things that I learned. Some of the things he prepared me with. And I'm back over in the place where I don't care. We made a joke about it for a long time. That we're the church that doesn't care. We thought about making that our motto, the church motto, but that didn't sound quite right. (laughs) Foothill Family Church, we don't care. (laughs) But there's got to be an element of don't care. I can say with complete honesty and truthfulness, I don't have a care in the world. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, don't you care that people can see your handshake? Not anymore. Used to. Used to bother the stew out of me. But I can't do anything about it. So why care? Yeah, but what if you're shaking worse now than you did a year ago? I don't care. What if it gets so bad that you can't stop it? You can't hide it by putting it under your other hand. I don't care. What if it gets so bad that you can't walk? And I'll sit down and preach and not have a care. I believe God honors that, folks. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's back to a relationship. Jesus paid for it. Jesus said, I can have what I say. And I say I'm healed. If he's not big enough to pull it off, that's his problem. Not mine. Let's get back to the basics. Let me show you one last scripture over in Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, here's Jesus appearing to the disciples after he's been raised from the dead, after his resurrection. Beginning in verse 14, afterward he appeared unto the leaven as they sat at meat and upbraided them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. You'd think these guys would be prepared for anything, wouldn't you? I mean, they saw stuff that left them astonished day after day after day. And Jesus said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with. And notice the next word is them in the King James, but it's in italics. I'm sure the translators were doing the best they could to be faithful to the scripture, but they added a word that shouldn't have been there. It's not that they were, that he worked with them. That's not the point of the verse. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word. See, God works with his word because of the gospel of Christ, the word of God, 
the truth of what Jesus has accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the power of God to save. That's the power of God to rescue. That's the power of God to deliver. That's the power of God to make sound, and that's the power of God to heal. It's the word that's the power, not the apostles. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. That word has the same power in your life that it had for them as they went everywhere preaching. That word has the same power to raise you up as it did the man in Lystra, the crippled man in Lystra. The word never loses its power. It's still full of life and power, able to divide between sick cells and healthy cells. God is faithful to keep his word. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to honor your word. Thank you for the truth of the word of God that we have received. We thank you, Father, that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we were healed. We thank you also that Jesus said that if we speak to our situations, and shall not doubt in our heart, but believe that the things that we, come, that we say will come to pass, we will have whatsoever we say. Therefore, we say, we are the healed of God. We walk in love, Father, and we choose to be carefree. We don't have a care. We don't have a worry. We trust you and your great power to keep your word. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Do you believe that? That's how simple it is, folks. Don't let the devil muddy the water. Keep it simple and receive from him. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed. <laughs>